Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. I'm behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana. We thank you for tuning in. Last week, we went through James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, and we discussed the importance of godly patience and how we should be properly displaying this godly trait in our own lives. This week, we pick up in James chapter 5, verse 12, with why we should not swear and the magnitude of our yes being yes and our no being no. Now let's go ahead and jump into this week's message with Pastor Chris. It was the real estate deal of a lifetime. I mean, who would have thought they would have made that much money, but they did. And as they're counting their stacks and they're laying it all out before them, I'm sure their heart wasn't filled with joy or happiness, but with resentment and bitterness. For you see, Ananias and Sapphira, they made a commitment before the Lord. And their commitment was this, that they will sell all their possessions and all their land, and they're going to give it to the Lord as an offering. But who would have thought they would have made so much money? So this was their plan. Let's take our money and tell the church. Let's go before God and give him only a portion of what the land actually sold for, and let's pocket the rest. And so their plan was a plan of lying. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they head on over to church, and there Ananias goes in before Peter, who's like the, the head pastor, the, the, the head honcho, el jefe of the church. Then they go before Peter, and there Ananias gives Peter the money. But Peter calls him out for exactly who Ananias is, a liar. He says, why would you allow Satan to fill your heart and lie to the Holy Spirit. You see, when it was your land, it was your land. And we didn't tell you to sell it and give us all your stuff. When you sold the land, it was your money. We didn't tell you to give us all your money. It was you who vowed. It was you who committed. It was you who said, this is what I'll do. And you didn't do it. And then Peter looks at Ananias and says something so powerful. He says, you did not lie to man, you lied to God. And then Ananias took his last breath and died. People carried him out, and then his wife came in. And Peter, asking his wife the same questions to see if she was going to go along with the lie as well, and she did, said to Sapphira, your husband has just left dead, and you're going to follow him too because you have lied. And there on the spot, she took her last breath and died. Folks, this is New Testament. This isn't some some story that happened in in Egypt or with Moses. This is New Testament, post-resurrection of Jesus Christ, post-ascension into heaven, post-birth of the church. This is New Testament theology, which tells me one thing, that God is deadly serious about liars that God takes the truth seriously and he takes liars very, very seriously. Now, with that kind of in mind, welcome to James chapter 5, verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 12, our text for this morning. Now, if you haven't been following along, haven't been watching, or you're just kind of out in la-la land, you remember James 
has a very specific purpose for writing this letter to me, to you, and to the audiences before us. And the purpose was this, to test the genuineness of your faith. See, the worst thing that can happen to a person is believe they're walking with Jesus only to stand before him in judgment and Jesus say, I never knew you. And so James, out of love, uh, writes this letter, fabricates it, puts it all together and packages it for us to test our faith. To see, am I really a Christian or am I simply faking the funk? Am I just being a hypocrite? Am I being an imposter? Am I being an actor or an actress playing church? And one of the tests that James gives us is found here in James chapter 5, verse 12. It's number 11 of 13. And the test is that of truthfulness. You see, if you're a Christian, you should be a very honest person. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Your mouth should speak truth and not lies. And so James gives us this very, very stern warning, this very powerful test to see the genuineness of our faith. So flip over in your Bibles to James 5, and we're only going to take one verse this morning, verse 12. uh, James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no is to be no, so that you may not fall in judgment. Now, real quick, look at the very first part of verse 12. He writes, but above all. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is the first 10 tests that came before this one, this one stands on top. When he says, but above all, he means last but not least. Certainly, this is something that is imperative for us to to both understand and apply to our lives. But above all, which sets this particular test of truthfulness even above other tests that we have seen in the past as we have gone through James. So whatever James is about to tell us, it's very, very very serious. But above all, my brethren, and here's the command, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Now, when we talk about swearing, sometimes in our culture that can refer to cussing, saying bad language, you know, having a filthy mouth, saying lewd jokes, saying four-letter words that we know are wrong. That's not what James is referring to when he says, do not swear, and that's a command. He's talking about this idea of taking a vow. He's talking about this idea of taking an oath. Don't go before God, he says. Don't swear and then ultimately deceive yourself or lie in the process. Now, this idea of an oath. Now, an oath is a solemn promise or a solemn commitment to God that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. That's what an oath is. It's a solemn or an extremely important promise that you tell God you are going to do. So I swear, God, I'm going to quit cigarettes today. 
I swear, God, I'm going to whatever, fill in the blank. That is a vow. That is an oath before God. And that is a very, very intimate and a very special promise on behalf of God or on behalf of the person to God. The Hebrew word for oath is the word swear. The Greek word for oath means to bind yourself to something stronger than yourself. So when I swear before God, I am binding myself to him. And I am saying, so God help me if I do not fulfill what I am intending or what I say I am going to fulfill. Now, just reading this through, you probably didn't ask yourself this question, but as I was studying it, it was a question I asked myself, and it's this. Why does James not say, my brethren, do not swear, period? Why is it that he tacks on this additional phrase by heaven or earth or by any other oath? Why didn't he just say, do not swear, period? And the answer is this, because God allows, God permits, God even commands in some situations to take a vow or to swear before him. And I'll give you some examples. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you don't know who they are, go home, study your Bibles, get in the book of Genesis. They're the forefathers of the faith. Through them in Christ, we have an inheritance in which we can reap and we can reign with God forever and ever. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are some very important figures in the Bible. And yet, in the life of Abraham, in the life of Jacob, and in the life of Isaac, his, his Jacob's father, they all swore oaths. When in, I think it's Genesis 23 or 24, you have old man Abraham. He's, he's old in age. He's dying. He's, you know, he's getting ready to go be with the Lord. And he calls his servant Eliezer. And he says, Eliezer, swear to me. Let's take an oath before the Lord that you will not go and get a bride from the daughters of Canaan, from this land of the Canaanites. I don't like these people. These people are evil people. They're wicked people. They're going to take my son and drag him away from God. Do not marry him off to somebody from this area. Make an oath and go to the land that I will tell you and pull a bride from that place. So we see Abraham in this, this uh, arena of giving an oath and making an oath. We see Isaac there in Genesis 26 give an oath to Abimelech. We see Jacob in Genesis 31 give an oath to his father-in-law Laban. Over and over and over again, you see this idea of an oath. In fact, this is what the scripture says about oath-taking. Exodus 22:10. Exodus chapter 22, verse 10. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies or is hurt or is driven away while no one is looking. An oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them that he is not, that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property and its owner shall accept it and he shall not make restitution. So God in, in the Mosaic law said, look, 
If there's a problem, you two are to go and take an oath before the Lord that you will not avenge that issue. Let God deal with it. In Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in uh, Numbers chapter 30, in Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 23, we have all these different um, perspectives or enlightenments on this idea of an oath, and we'll, we'll look at those. But for me, one of the most beautiful oaths of all the Bible it was found in a woman by the name of Hannah. Now, if you don't know her story, you can just click on over to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and you can read her story. She's a beautiful woman, and she sang praises to God so beautifully that Mary, the mother of Jesus, actually kind of plagiarized in a lot of ways what Hannah wrote. But Hannah, this woman, has an amazing testimony, has an amazing story. So she was married to a guy, and they would have sexual relations, but she couldn't get pregnant. The Bible, in fact, says that the Lord closed Hannah's womb. Now, in that culture way back then, babies were everything. Babies is as how you preserve your name, you preserve your line. Babies is how you grow your empire. Babies is how you, you make different tribes and different people friendly as you marry your da- their daughter and, their, and your son together, whatever the case may be. Babies were very, very important. And when a woman was barren, when a woman couldn't give birth, she was looked at as somebody who was ostracized, someone who was cursed, someone who, who in which God was mad at, possibly because of some sin. And so Hannah does what, what any person who has no other option um, can do or would do, and that's go before the Lord. And so in 1 Samuel 1, she goes to the temple, and she just cries out to God. I mean, she's pouring her heart out. And, and maybe you've been there where, where your life is ruined and you have nothing but to look up. You know, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one way to go. And, and Hannah was at her rock bottom. And so she's crying out to God before the temple. And she's saying, Lord. And she goes and makes this vow. She says, God, if, if you open my womb, if you, you give me a son, this is what I'll do. I will vow to you that I will give him back to you, and he shall serve you all the days of his life. And so God heard Hannah's vow. Now, what's a vow again? You can look at your notes. A vow is a solemn promise to God. And so she made a solemn promise to God that if he would give her a baby boy, she would give that boy right back to the Lord. And the Lord heard Hannah's vow, and the Lord gave Hannah a baby. That baby was named Samuel. And I love it because I think it's right there at verse 27. It's, I think it's the last verse of 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says this, that when the baby was weaned, Hannah went and dedicated that child to the Lord, for the Lord had answered her prayers. See, that was a woman who made a promise to God who kept her promise. So let's go back to our text here in James chapter 5. Why does James not say, just don't swear, period? Because a vow to God is something that you can do and is permitted and in certain times. But here's, here's the one thing. Is these vows, these promises, these commitments that we're making to God, they are so serious, See, if you drink a cup of coffee and you're all fired up on caffeine, you say, God, I'm going to do this. I vow I'm going to do this and that. 
you are held responsible for those vows. Those verses I brought up earlier, let me read some of them to you. Numbers chapter 30, starting at verse 1 and 2. Numbers 30, verse 1 and 2. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In Deuteronomy chapter, tw- chapter 10, verse 20, and just FYI, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures, so get ready. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21 through 23. That's Deuteronomy chapter 23. So think of Jordan. Verse 21 through 23. Then when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out of your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. One more on the seriousness of our vows to God. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Leviticus, think Levi, like your genes, chapter 19, verse 12. You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of God. I am the Lord. So what have we learned so far? An oath is a binding agreement. Christians are allowed to take an oath before God, but God takes it extremely seriously, and so should we. This is how extreme those people in the Old Testament, those Old Testament saints, took these vows to God. There was a man named Jephthah. And if you don't know who Jephthah is, that's okay. But there's a guy named Jephthah, and he was a, a warrior. He was a, a, a soldier for God, if you will. And he was fighting a group of people, nasty, evil people. Think of like Hitler, but way back, you know, thousands of years ago. Just a, a very terrible group of people named the Ammonites. And the Ammonites were evil, and they were murderers, and they were rapists, and they were just horrible people. And so Jephthah and his army, the Lord's army, was going to fight these Ammonites. But Jephthah made a vow to God. And he said, God, if you give these Ammonites to my hand, if we are victorious in war, when I go back home, the first thing that comes through my front door, I will offer that as a offering or a sacrifice to you. Now, I'm sure when he thought that, maybe he was thinking uh, uh, a sheep might go through the door. Maybe a, a lamb or an ox or some kind of animal would go through that door. But as, as God delivered the victory to Jephthah, and as he's walking home, and as he's entering into the front of his house, his daughter sees him, and she runs through the front door. And it's at that point that Jephthah knows I either break my vow with God 
or I sacrifice my daughter to uphold that vow. And so Jephthah's heartbroken. The Bible says he only had one child and it was this beautiful young daughter. And so he tells his daughter the vow that he made and his daughter said, you keep that vow with the Lord. And how does the story end? Whether right or whether wrong, that's not, we don't have time to jump into that right now. But Jephthah held his vow and kept his vow with the Lord, even at his daughter's expense. That's how serious this idea of promising God really is. Now, going back to James chapter 5, why does James say, do not swear, either by earth or by heaven or by any other oath? I mean, nowhere in any of the, the scripture that I just read does it talk about heaven or earth or anything. It just says swearing before the Lord or in the Lord's name. And this is where the heart of the message is. This is where James is really getting at. Because this is the context, this is the culture, this is the setting in which James and the, the early New Testament church is founded in. You see, the Jews knew that vows were so important and, and so um, serious before God that they would be judged if they didn't hold them. So this is what began to happen to the religious leaders of Israel. This is what happened to the, the priests. This is what happened to God's leaders over God's people. They began to become more dishonest and more dishonest and more of a, of a con man. And their heart became more polluted and more polluted and more corrupt because of fame and because of fortune and because of power that they couldn't tell the truth even if they wanted to. And so this is what the priests began to do. They began to say, I swear, brother, by the temple that I'm telling the truth. I swear, brother, by Jerusalem, I'm telling the truth. I swear by heaven. I swear by earth that I am telling the truth. They began to take vows from everything but the Lord. What am I saying? This is what I'm saying. Corrupt liars found a loophole to get around God's word. If the law says you swear before the Lord and it's a vow, then what do these guys do? They swear about everything but the Lord so that the person they're trying to con believes them and they don't have the judgment of God on them. It's nothing but a loophole to be able to lie without any kind of consequence. That was the setting that James chapter 5 is in. That's the setting that our Lord's ministry is in. See, if you, if James 5, 12 sounds familiar, it's because he plagiarized his brother Jesus's sermon. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And let me read to you this portion that Jesus teaches. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, you, for you cannot make one hair white or black, 
but let your statement be yes and yes or no and no. Anything beyond these is evil. So Jesus preaches this sermon and he says, don't swear on anything but the Lord. And this is why. Because whose is heaven? Who does heaven belong to? God. It's his throne room. If you swear on anything on earth, who owns earth? It's God's footstool. If you swear on Jerusalem, it's the, it's the city of the great king. If you swear on your own head, God owns that too. What Jesus is saying and what James is kind of driving home is this, that God owns everything. And so you trying to be conniving, you trying to find the loophole, you trying to be dishonest by giving the appearance that you're honest, God will hold you accountable. For heaven is his, earth is his, the very hairs on your head is his. There is no getting around it. And so you have these religious leaders who on the outside looked so good, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. And Jesus in Matthew 23, 16 and following calls these religious leaders out for their lying oaths before God. And what is their verdict? That they will go to hell. They will not escape the judgment of God because oaths are so serious. And Jesus says, even if you don't say in the Lord, it's still an oath. Now, how does that relate to us today? Well, I'm sure you at least one time in your life, or at least you've heard somebody say something along the lines of, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm telling the truth. I swear on my children's lives. I swear on my mother's health. I swear I cross my heart and I hope to die, right? We've heard people say that. We've, we've said it maybe even ourselves. And what are we really doing? We're trying to prove our honesty by swearing. And James says, if you do that, you better follow through. You better be honest. You better be telling the truth. You better continue on with your oath. Here's another question that kind of popped in my mind as I'm thinking through this. Why would Jesus in Matthew 5 and then James again in, in uh, James 5 tell us to be honest? There in verse 12, it says, let your yes be yes and let your no's be no's. Why would Jesus, why would James, why would the other biblical writers have to tell you and I to be honest? Because it's unnatural. That's why. Because it's unnatural. It's so much easier, it's so much more natural to lie than it is to tell the truth. And you ask the question, well, why is that? Well, here's a piece of truth for you that may upset many people, may, may offend many people, but here's what the Bible states. That you, every person in this world, man, woman, and daughter, they have a spiritual father. That spiritual father might be God the Father. As you are born again, you become God's child. You are a part of God's family. And the, the God of heaven and earth, the great I am, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the almighty God, now becomes your Abba, your Daddy, your Baba, your Father. There's that intimacy, there's that relationship. But if you're not born of God, then you have another spiritual father. 
And every man, woman, and child not born of God is born of this spiritual father, and that is of the devil. That's the truth. That's the facts. Whether you want to argue with me or whether you want to reject that concept is not my problem. That's the truth. God or the devil is anybody's father who does not walk with the Lord. And in John 8:48, these same religious leaders that were swearing on everything and anything under the sun, Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil. For he was a murderer from the beginning, and in him there is no truth, for his nature is a nature of lying, and all he can do is lie. Now, if you're cut from that father, if you're cut from that cloth, guess how you're going to live your life? You're going to live your life deceptively. You're going to live your life in, in lying, in cheating, in stealing, and not in truth. Now, that doesn't mean that every non-Christian in the world has to be as bad as, as they can be. That doesn't mean every non-Christian, all they spew out of their mouth is lies. But what it does mean is this that the natural tendencies of man is to revert back to a lie rather than the truth. is because we are cut before we are born again from the ruler of this age, from the, the prince and the power of, 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 and the heir of this world who the Bible calls Satan. What was the very first sin in the Bible? Now, if you're like, I know, I know, I know, it was Adam and Eve eating the fruit, I would say to you, wrong. Go back and read Genesis 3 one more time. When the serpent was talking with Eve and Eve said, we cannot eat from that fruit because God says in the day that we will eat of it, we will surely die. And what is the serpent? What does Satan reply to Eve? Satan's reply to Eve is this. You will not die. In fact, you will have your eyes open and you will be like God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's an absolute lie because Jesus says Satan is the father of lies and in him there is no truth. And so if the natural man takes after their, their father, if they're cut from the same cloth, if the apple doesn't roll far from the tree, then guess what? Na man's natural inclination is to want to lie, to want to cover up the truth, to want to tell a, a white lie or a fib or, or blur the lines a little bit. However, we can't do that. The scripture says in uh, Psalm 116.9 that all mankind are liars. In Romans chapter 3, Paul writes and says, let God be true and every man found a liar. And then he goes on and he says, for I'm telling you that Jews and Greeks, or in other words, all of mankind, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a priest, whether you're the pope, whether you're anybody, all mankind has fallen short. We have all sinned. And then he gives this diatribe of all these sins that we commit. And you get to Romans 3.13 and it says, With their throats is an open grave and with their mouth comes continuous deception. In other words, what's the natural man like? The natural man has a mouth that causes death and a tongue that speaks lies. So Jesus tells us, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. So not only is Satan a liar, not only is our natural flesh uh, have this propensity or inclination to lie, but then our world and our world system is built on fabricated lies and blurred lines. Let me ask you a question. 
why when you go on Snapchat does your picture have filters on it? Why does any pictures have filters on it? Well, maybe you're trying to hide freckles. Maybe you're trying to hide wrinkles. Maybe you're trying to hide whatever. Maybe you just want yourself to look better than you really are. Look at social media just in general. People choose the pictures they want. They choose the angles they want. They choose the lighting they want. They choose the occasion in which they want to present to the world. I mean, this entire concept of social media is like idealism at its highest peak. Everybody's social media page, people are happy and rejoicing and going out and taking pictures of great meals and vacations and their dog running around and them laughing and smiling. But is that really their life? Or is it just a facade? Is it just a, a fabrication of falsehoods to make their life and their experience on this earth appear to be better than it really is? Just something to think about. We have this topic of fake news. When you want to talk about truth and lies and the world being built on this idea of falsehoods, if anybody can give me one resource outside the Bible that is truthful, that they don't have a political bias, they don't have a slant, they don't have an opinion, they aren't being paid to say something. I mean, you look at the, the TV networks, the newspaper outlets, websites, it is so difficult to find the truth in just these articles of lies. It's so difficult. And that's because this world is founded on lies. So Jesus says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And then James follows it up. So number one, an oath is something to be taken very seriously. Christians can take it, but we are to follow through. And then we are to live our lives this way. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, we are not to swear falsely. We are not to be habitual liars. Our word is our bond. That is how us as Christians are to be. We are to be the breed. We are to be the people. We are to be the tribe, the family that is different from the rest of the world. And it all starts with our speech. If we can't tell the truth, then we are absolutely good for nothing. If I can't be honest with you and you can't be honest with me, then our relationship is a false friendship, a false relationship. It's built on lies. And so Jesus and James, they say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I don't have to say yes and I swear on a stack of Bibles. Because if you know me and you know I'm honest and you know I tell the truth, then you know my yes is a yes and my no is a no. In other words, James is saying, Jesus is saying, just follow through with what you're going to do. If you say something, be about it. If you commit to something, don't be like Ananias and Sapphira and change your mind just because it's difficult. Follow through until the end. Just be honest. Be truthful. That's what God desires. That is exactly what the Lord desires. Now, why are we to be honest people? Why are we to be truthful people? Why are we to be people that always are up front and an open book? 
because of the end of verse 12. So that you may not fall under judgment. Now, last week, James was talking about this idea of judgment, and he used this word that can be translated like chastisement, which means, um, you know, you're, you're a child and you're, you're going astray and you're, you're, you know, doing what you're not supposed to do. And daddy grabs you and spanks you on the butt and says, okay, let's not do that anymore. Come here and let's live that way. See, that's chastening. And that's a good thing. But the word that, that James uses here for judgment, it's a very scary word. It's the Greek word crisis. K-R-I-S-I-S. For all you English majors out there, guess what word we get from that Greek word crisis in English? Now, if you said the word crisis, you're right. But it's interesting because this word crisis that James uses for the word judgment is a very powerful and a very stern warning. It is only used in every single aspect of the New Testament to speak of a judge who is giving a verdict and casting someone to hell. It's a very powerful warning on behalf of James. He's saying, do not swear falsely, do not be untruthful, do not be categorized as a liar, but be honest. Let your word be your bond. And if you don't, there's going to be a crisis for you. And the word is impending judgment that will send a person to hell. Psalms chapter, uh, chapter 101 verse 7 says this. Anyone who practices deception cannot stand before God. Anyone who practices deception cannot stand before God. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it's a, it's a very scary verse. And it talks about hell and the inhabitants of hell. And this is what it says, that hell and all its inhabitants will be filled with all liars. All liars. God, in the, in the book of Proverbs, gives a list of seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. Seven things that God hates with a passion. Two of them, a lying tongue and a mouth that speaks false witness. God is deadly serious about a lying tongue. God is very, very serious about the honest person. So he says, so that you may not fall under judgment. And this is why I believe James says, above all else, Focus in on this one. Why? Because this one is really going to show if a person is in the kingdom or not in the kingdom. See, as Christians, we're cut from our father's cloth, which means what? We are to be like him. And the Bible says God cannot lie. In him there is no deceit. And so as Christians, we are to be people who don't lie. And in us, there is no deceit. But what about a person who claims to be a Christian? What about a person who um, is called a brother by James? What about a person that goes to church? And yet their life is a life of deception, 
a life of lies, a life of swearing before God in falsehood, which the Bible calls blasphemy. What about that person? James says they don't make it. They're fake. Any person who can live a life blaspheming God through a lying tongue is not born of God. They still belong to the other guy. They still belong to the other daddy. So it's a very powerful, powerful warning on having an honest heart and taking your commitments with the Lord extremely seriously, extremely seriously. And so I, I hope that that's a wake-up call for us. I hope that's a, a, the time in which we can examine our own hearts and, and, and fall to our knees in repentance. For all those times we said to God, I will quit doing that, I will quit doing this, I will start doing this, so help me God, and we haven't done it. All the times when we, we lie intentionally before other people, I think it's a call to repentance. But I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with how you and I could change the corner. If, if I am a person who tends to be dishonest, I tend to lean towards uh, not wanting to tell the truth, how can I change that? And how can I honor God in all that I do? Here are five things I think that may help. There are three things to always remember and keep in your mind, and then two things you can actively do in your life. So how can I be an honest person? How can I pass the test of truthfulness? How can I escape this judgment or crisis that all liars and blasphemers will incur? How can I do that? Number one, here's three things to remember. Number one, disappointing God is more important than disappointing people. I'll say that again. Remember this. Disappointing God is more important than disappointing people. What do you mean? Sometimes we may lie in order to not disappoint someone else. For example, wife makes an amazing meal. It's incredible. Oh, I'm sorry. Wife makes a meal and it's terrible. And she's telling you, how is it? Is it good? And what do you say? By the way, this is not my life. My wife cooks amazing. But let's say, for the sake of argument, it's a horrible meal, and she says, what do you think? Is it good? What do you say? Sometimes someone might say, it's amazing, it's wonderful, it's delicious. Yes, I'm enjoying it, just so they don't disappoint the other person. When, when a, a girl comes to you and says, do I look fat in this dress? I mean, you want to talk about a catch-22. There's no getting around that one right? You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't at that point. What do you do? You might lie and say no in order to not disappoint someone, or you might say yes and there'd be an argument. But the point I'm trying to make is this. We can sometimes lie from a good place. You look at the the um, ladies there in Egypt in Exodus chapter 1 that were um, helping the, the Jewish ladies give birth and you remember that, that Pharaoh commanded all the Jewish boys to be murdered. And what did, what did these, these, um, nurses do? They lied. They lied about it in order to save lives. Now, is that right? No. But sometimes we 
say falsehoods, we uh, tell white lies, we give fibs in order to not hurt someone else with the truth. But remember, when you lie to someone, whether good or bad, despite the motive, you're disappointing God. So it's better to tell the truth and offend someone in the truth than to disappoint God. So disappointing God, we don't want to do, and disappointing people, we don't want to do. But if I had to choose the two, we want to disappoint people rather than God. And in situations where it's either lie or offend someone, always resort back to what the Bible says. Speak the truth in love. Do it graciously, do it kindly, but don't lie. Here's point number two to remember. A lie will tie you up, but the truth will set you free. A lie will tie you up, but the truth will set you free. Here's one thing I have found in my own life. Lying is wearisome. Lying is so tiring because you tell a lie and then you have to tell a hundred other lies to make sure that that lie stays intact. And eventually, in one way or another, you will be found out. So here's my, um, my plea with you. If you struggle with this area of lying, give it up. Just rest. Just rest. Lying ties you up. It wears you down. It hinders your walk. But the truth will set you free. If you just live an honest life, you will have joy. You will have peace. You will feel better. And you won't always be burdened down with guilt. Here's the third thing to remember. People respect you more for being honest rather than being perfect. People respect you more for being honest rather than being perfect. Here's another reason why you and I may lie. Because we want to look, we want to appear like we are better than we really are. So when you're at church and someone says, how you doing, brother? And you just had a really bad week and, and you know, you lost your dog and you, and you, your wife's mad at you and you've been in sin and, and you just have all these issues going on and you just slap on a smile and you say, I'm doing fantastic. Praise the Lord, brother. No good. People will respect you more if you're honest rather than being perfect. If you're upfront, if you say, this is my baggage, this is my sin, these are my issues, and we're going to discuss this next week when we come to one another confessing sins. But right now, I just want you to know this, that when you are honest, you are respected. Whether the party agrees with you or doesn't agree with you, whether you say something that offends other people, at the end of the day, people will respect you more for being you, being an open book, having no falsehood and saying, this is who I am, love me or leave me. People respect that. They, they really, really hold on to that. So remember that disappointing God is more serious than disappointing people. Remember that lies tie you up, but the truth sets you free. And then remember that people respect honesty over perfection. 
Now, here's two things that we can do, and we'll close with this. What I can do, number one, I correct my lies. I've done this before, and I'm like, God, where did that come from? It's so amazing how this big mouth, and and I know you guys are saying amen on that one, how this big mouth speaks before this brain even thinks. There's been so many times where I just blurt something out, and I think to myself, and I'm a pastor. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I told that white lie or, or I kind of fudged the truth a little bit. How can that be? I mean, I'm speaking truth. How can that be? You know, it, it's incredible. But what we do when our mouth speaks falsehoods is we correct them on the spot. And we say, you know what, brother? I, I misled you, hey, sister. I, I told you the, uh, a, a lie. Hey, sister, I intentionally lied to you or whatever the case may be. And you say, but here is the truth. You correct the lie right away. And that way you gain the respect of whomever you're talking to and you don't have to be burdened down by carrying on that lie and feeling guilty for disappointing God. So if your mouth speaks falsehoods out of its own natural state, then what we do in the spirit is we get right, we repent of it, and we go and we make it right and say, brother, sister, whatever, I've led you astray, here's the truth telling you people respect you for that lastly and i say this in just about every sermon but until every one of the people at journey community church reads their bible every day i will continue to pound this at the pulpit here's number two of how you can speak the truth and be an honest person and pass the test of truthfulness read your bibles every single day and what i mean by read is not a one paragraph devotional. What I mean by read is not, you know, one or two sentences that you found in your calendar book. I'm talking reading, studying, thinking it through, analyzing, researching, and applying to your life. The word of God. When Jesus is there and he's He's standing before God there in in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying before the Lord just before he's going to be taken and crucified. He's praying to the Lord, and he he gives this request to God. And he, he asks God to sanctify them. That means his disciples and his followers. That means you and I sanctify them, set them apart, make them different from the rest of the world according to truth. And then he defines what truth is. Your word is truth. What was Jesus' prayer request? Make my people, make Christians, make you a follower of Jesus. Make them different from the rest of the world by setting them apart and being truthful because of your word. You see, that's the key. If my heart and my mind is evil and wicked, then all that's going to come out of my mouth is evil and wickedness. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But when I'm reading my Bible every day, every day, reading my Bible, thinking it through, studying it, pondering, trying to connect the, the pieces together, when I'm doing that, when you're doing that, what you're doing is filling your mind and filling your heart with truth. And what happens when your heart and your mind is filled with truth? Guess what your mouth does? It speaks truth. 
So I want to just close kind of recapping everything. James says, do not take an oath before the Lord unless you are adamant that you are going to fulfill it. Don't be a liar. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't spread falsehoods and try to cover it up by being religious. But let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Be an honest person. And if you are, you'll be blessed. And if you're not, there'll be a crisis for you. And how can we be honest people? One, it begins with being born again, being born of the Spirit. Now, when I'm preaching in front of a group of people, I I know who's been following the Lord and who's not. But as this goes out to Ireland and Germany and all the other places of the world that people are watching these videos, I don't know where you are with your walk with God. But what I want to tell you is this. Outside of being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you will not make it. You have to be born again. You have to follow after the Lord. You have to have your sins forgiven. And Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. So it starts there. And when you are a Christian and when you're filled with the Spirit, then what do we do? We remember that uh, disappointing God is more serious than disappointing man. We remember that lies tie you up, but the truth sets you free. We remember that people respect honesty over perfection. And then what do I do? I study the word of God and I put it into my heart and I put it into my mind. And when I tell lies and when I, when I mess up and when I sin, I repent of it before the Lord and then I go make it right with that individual. And I say, hey, I misled you. I'm going to correct that. And God will honor you and God will bless you. And so I hope this message was an honor for you. Next week is James chapter uh, 5, verse 13 through 18, if you want to get ahead. And we're going to study the topic of prayer. And speaking of prayer, let's pray. Father, I just pray for all those that have uh, tuned in literally all over the world. And I pray, God, that you would uh, first and foremost call them to salvation. If you're a person and, and you're just out and about and just living your life, but your, your heart is empty, it's hardened, your, your mind is saddened, you're depressed, depressed and anxious, then it's time for you to get right with God. It's time for you to be forgiven of sin. It's time for you to be born again. And the Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Now, what does that mean? It means that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. It means that he, you believe he rose again from the dead for your sins. It means he ascended to the Father. But it also means this, that because of all those things, Jesus is the Lord of your life. So how can I know that I'm really saved? I obey the Lord. I obey him. I'm saved by faith, but I live through obedience. That's what we do. And so wherever you're at, you can cry out to the Lord even right now, and he will hear you. And for all of us Christians, Father, I pray that we can be honest people. We can be trustworthy people. We can be people who does not have to stick our hand in the air and say, I swear, but our yes is a yes and our no is a no. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
And that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. And don't forget to tune in next week to hear more as we continue to go through the book of James. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.